We all know that parents tend to think of their children as special, as well they should. We also joke about how parents will exaggerate a child's gifts out of pride and love. Psychologists have actually coined a term for this. It's called the Lake Wobegon effect that says that we have a tendency to overrate our own and our family's excellence compared to others. The term, of course, comes from Garrison Keillor's radio show, where he says in each episode that in Lake Wobegon, all of the children are above average. Normally, parents are inclined to see excellence in their children in areas that matter to the parents. Uh, when someone else tells a parent that his or her child stands out in some way, well, this can be a double-edged sword. We perhaps want our children to be good students, maybe not savants. The attention that comes with having a precocious child can be pretty daunting. Now, what do you do when strangers are calling attention to your son and lavishing the greatest praise on him when he's not yet old enough to crawl? This is the situation this morning for the Holy Family. They enter the temple in obedience to the law of Moses. Now, there's some confusion among scholars about what exactly is going on in this observance of the law today. St. Luke's St. Luke seems to conflate two different rituals, the purification of a mother after the birth of a son and the redemption of a child. So these are two separate rites in the Old Testament, both being observed in this passage. The word I want to focus on here is the word redemption, that Jesus, the child, is being redeemed uh, by the offering of the turtle doves this morning. In the passage from the book of Exodus where this rite of redemption is first prescribed, the Greek word in the translation is lutrosai. And this Greek word translates two different Hebrew terms, but they have similar meanings. The very last of the plagues, those that struck Egypt before the Exodus, killed all of the firstborn males of man and of animal. But God spared the sons of the Israelites. But he did so on condition that thenceforth these firstborn sons belonged to him by right. The parents of these sons were allowed to keep them upon payment of a certain ransom or redemption. This is the turtle doves or two young pigeons that Mary and Joseph bring today. By the way, this is the moment of Joseph's formal adoption of the child Jesus. By making this offering, he says, I am the legal father of this child. This concept of redemption is a really important one in the Old Testament. It has a very precise legal meaning that plays an important role in many stories. In the book of Ruth, for example, Naomi returns to Judah from Moab after her husband Elimelech has died. And uh, all of his property, she has to go back in part because his property now has to be redeemed by someone. So no one goes in and takes it, takes uh, hold of it illegally. But then she can't just sell it to anybody. She has first to offer it to the Redeemer, the person who's nearest in kin, who's entitled to that property so that it stays in the family. And so Boaz, who is near to her in her family, exercises this right of redemption. And in doing so, this may be a little bit uncomfortable for us modern people, he also inherits the widow Ruth, 
who, by marrying Elimelech's son, has become part of his inheritance. And so Boaz, in part, wants to exercise this right of redemption, not just for the property, but because he wants to marry Ruth. And he is able to because he is the redeemer, her redeemer. So a redeemer is a kinsman who rescues persons or property who are in some kind of danger or captivity, who have fallen into uh, uh, the uh, captivity of some other party. Now, God himself redeems Israel from Egypt. He calls his son out of slavery, we hear, where the descendants of Jacob had gone just to settle and sojourn in Egypt, but the Egyptians had taken over them and put them under slavery. So God, being next of kin, as it were, redeems them uh, through rescuing them in the Exodus. In the case of the firstborn of Mary... She and her husband must redeem the boy Jesus from God's immediate service. Now, this is really an interesting thing that they do. I've already hinted at this. This is not to say, by the way, that God demanded the sacrifice of the firstborn son. He explicitly repudiates this through the prophet Jeremiah. Rather, what we see in the case of Samuel and perhaps that of Samson is that a firstborn son could be dedicated or consecrated to the Lord. And by this action, the parents give up the right to raise the child, and the child lives in the temple, as Samuel did. Now, tradition says that something similar happened to the Virgin Mary. When she was a child, that she was dedicated to the temple. We even have a feast day for this in the church. In some icons of the Annunciation, she is shown, when, when Gabriel comes to speak to her, she is holding a spindle and thread, which indicates that she's in the temple, working on the veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, the veil that is rent at the crucifixion. So she is a dedicated virgin in the temple and uh, is only let out to uh, marry Joseph, as it were, which is, again, quite interesting. So the fact that Mary and Joseph redeem Jesus, this is a sign that he is to live a truly human life. He's not to stay in the temple. He's to go out on mission. And this mission is to redeem Jerusalem, because this is the place that the word redemption actually shows up in today's gospel, is when Anna speaks. We're told that the prophetess Anna speaks of the child Jesus to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. So this implies that Jerusalem is in captivity. Now, many in the immediate context would have understood this as referring to the presence of the Romans and the Roman government in the Holy Land. But what Anna, since she's a prophetess, is saying, perhaps unaware, is that the heavenly Jerusalem needs redemption. This true vision of peace for all peoples needs rescuing by God. And in this perspective, the captor is sin and death. For Jesus to exercise his right of redemption, he must be near of kin to us. He must be family with us. This is to say he must take on human nature in all of its fullness. Thus God lets go of him, as it were. In a sense, he lets his only son go, uh, his firstborn son, that he might rescue Christ's lost brothers. By the way, here we can mention that Luke, in his genealogy of Jesus, refers to Adam as the son of God. Not the firstborn son, but maybe the nextborn son of God. Jesus is the oldest of all the brothers, as it were. So by becoming our brother, 
Jesus becomes our Redeemer. He has a legal right and a duty to save us from captivity, the captivity of sin and death. And when he is redeemed by Mary and Joseph, he becomes this brother, and we become members of an extended holy family. And when Jesus exercises his right of redemption, he joins us to his own divine nature, which had been intended for Adam and Eve, but which was lost when they fell captive to sin and death. And in this wondrous exchange of the human and divine, we can say with all due right, we become something well above average. <laughs>